Hi friends, welcome to Moments to Ponder. This is a podcast designed to help you spend a few moments in God's Word wherever you are and take away something to ponder. We live in a loud, busy world that can make it hard to find the time to get into God's Word, and so I'm grateful for these moments we have to ponder the book of Philippians together. I'm Betsy Marvin, and this is episode 88. As we begin chapter 2 of Philippians today, we're met with some great literature. Rhetorical questions, a chiasm, and a hymn make up these first few verses, reminding us that Paul was definitely an educated Jew, and his use of words were meant to help his readers understand the depth of what he had to say. Paul starts with rhetorical questions, which, as a teacher, I've used myself. It's the asking of a question not to get an answer, but to make a point about something that the learner already knows or to influence them toward the answer the teacher is looking for. It creates the if-then kind of thinking. In verse 1 of chapter 2, Paul asks, Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Is there any comfort from His love? Any fellowship together with the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? To which the answer to all of these would be, yes, of course. So if these are all true, then Paul says this in verse 2. Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. These verses give us an opportunity to learn something new for some of you. It's something I've just begun learning about myself. It's called a chiasm. And verse 2 is an example of this. Now, a chiasm is a form of literature, actually a type of poetry in many cases, that uses the sequence of the elements of a sentence or a verse, paragraph, or even a book, which are then repeated and developed but in reverse order. It can also be called introverted parallelism. I know, sounds fancy. For an example, though, it's really quite simple. Here's one that Jesus said in Mark 2, 27. He said, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Did you note the repeating, but in reverse order, of Sabbath and man? This was a way of writing or speaking that was a great teaching tool in this oral culture. It helped the listener repeat it as well, which showed the importance of what was being said and especially of the meaning behind it. So as Paul is writing this letter that would be read and reread, he uses a chiasm here to help the church hear the importance of what he's telling them to do. And if they do do it, he will be filled with joy. His questions led me to believe that the church needed some reminding. Do you have shared fellowship? Do you find comfort in Christ? Do you have compassionate hearts and sharing encouragement? So in short, I think they were dealing with some kind of conflict among them. So he answers within this chiasm, and we see it in verse 2 in the ABBA format. So here's verse 2 again. 
then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Now, in the Greek, we would see this much more clearly than we do in our English translation. Because agreeing, the first thing he tells them to do, and being of one mind, the last thing he tells them to do, is the word phroneo. It's used in this verse to kind of couch the other things, and it means to have understanding and to agree together, to be wise. Now, in the middle, we have love one another and work together. Now, the word love here is agape, which many of us know as godly, all-fulfilling, sacrificial love, and work together, with is sophechos, or something close to that, which means to be united in spirit. So to love fully, be united in spirit, they're, they're meaning close to the same thing. So to put it together, Paul is saying that if the church could be of one mind, loving each other, united in Christ, then this would bring joy to his heart. I mean, don't we all have joy when those we love get along with each other? That's what Paul is saying here. He will actually go on to use the word for neo nine more times in this letter. Okay, that's the start. But Paul's not done. He continues in verse 3 to say, Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. I think these verses give us some insight into what might be causing the conflict in Philippi. Nothing messes with connection and unity like conflict. And often... Conflict is based in selfishness, which we see Paul speak to here. Now, if you remember in the first part of the letter, Paul addressed those who were preaching out of jealousy and competition, and he called it out there, and he pushes the church to be careful to not do what he was calling them out on. Because agape love isn't jealous. Som fishkos, basically the united in spirit word, which when supported by phroneo, wisdom and understanding. When we love and are unified and we use wisdom, it comes out as unity. So this all leads to Paul's next statement, which summarizes what he has just said. He summarizes it by saying, you must have the same attitude of Christ Jesus. Okay, wow, that's big. That's hard. And it makes us wonder, is that even possible? I mean, right? In 1 Corinthians 2.16, in 1 Corinthians 2.16, Paul wrote, we have the mind of Christ. That's always fascinated me. This statement is couched in the verses on the Holy Spirit and how we all have him in us. That helps us have the mind of Christ. It also implies that we are able to choose to walk in this way, and allow the attitude of Christ to become our own. In fact, it's the only way that all that Paul is speaking of is even possible. This is a journey of growth and maturity that I spoke about in an earlier podcast in this series. I'm so grateful that Paul doesn't leave them wondering what having the mind of Christ looks like. In the following verses, he goes into a beautiful hymn, giving them the foundation for the challenge to live self-sacrificingly, to live that in such a way that it brings unity within the church. 
Now, before I read the poem, I want us to remember the world that Paul is living in. There is a Lord of Rome. His name is Nero. He's an egotistical leader, seizing control of his court, killing his opposition, and descending into madness. Soon, Rome would burn, and Nero would turn the pointing fingers at him toward the Christians, which would lead to their persecution. It's a world of status, power, greed, and ambition. It sounds a little like some of our world today, right? And it's in this light that he shows the church in us the character of God. We'll go back and start at verse 5 and then continue. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, in the middle of these verses, we see the word therefore. So we should always ask ourselves, what is it therefore? And I think these verses signaled to us a connection from the first verses to the final verses. The actions of Christ to what happened from those actions. He did what only God could do. And then God elevated him. He was fully powerful, yet he chose to be humble. He fully owns the universe, yet he chose to be sacrificial. He has all authority in heaven and on earth, yet he chose to be a servant. He is the maker of all order, yet he chose to be obedient. And he did it all because of love. This is what Paul is pointing to. He's pointing to Jesus, the one who does miracles, and also the one who suffered and served. I mean, this is just exactly what Paul was doing at that very moment as he suffered in prison while still serving Christ in any way he could. He's saying, Jesus is our example, and I'm I'm following that example. Many commentaries point to these verses as a hymn sung by the early church, and that would totally make sense. I mean, historically, hymns were used to help illiterate people learn theology and the character of God because they couldn't read the Bible. Yet, I also think these verses were meant for more than a theology lesson for the Philippian church. I think they were practical too. Paul is equipping them as the church to act in a way toward each other that would promote unity in the body of Christ and to equip them with a better understanding of the pattern of patient obedience and humble servanthood within Jesus. It's what he's calling them to emulate. Actually, his words are called to all Christ followers, even today. I mean, think about this. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Humility. 
Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave being born as a human. What a servant heart. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Completely sacrificial. Humility, servanthood, obedience, sacrifice. This was countercultural to the leader of that day. And it's still countercultural today for many of the people around us. It was the answer to their challenge. And it is still the answer today. But how many of us truly choose to live with the mind of Christ? So, if you've gotten anything at all out of following Jesus, if his love has made any difference in your life, if being in a community of the Spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart, if you care, then do me a favor. Agree with each other. Love each other. Be deep, spirited friends. Oh, dear one, may you seek to have the mind of Christ, choosing to be understanding, fully loving others and seeking unity with fellow believers. It's hard, but it's fulfilling. And just imagine how much your Heavenly Father's heart is filled with joy as He sees you sharing His love with those around you. And I pray that you receive much love in return. Amen.